Week 10 was incredible. Potentially the catch of the year from Justin Jefferson. Historic day for the Minnesota Vikings beating the Buffalo Bills in a game like I've never seen before. Also have breakout performances from Rashad White, Christian Watson, Kadarius Toney even. We'll hit on all those names and even more. Go game by game here on the Week 10 Instant Reaction Show with Hayden Winks, John Daigle of Betspurts and 444. I am Josh Norris, and we kick it off with that 33-30 to 30 victory. The Minnesota Vikings improving, Hayden, 8-1, and one, continuing the skid that we've seen from the Bills and Josh Allen, who shockingly gets the start here. But in the day, Kirk Cousins, 30 of 50, 357, and Dalvin Cook, and namely the man himself, 10 for 193 and 1, Justin Jefferson, again, creating a moment. I feel like I've seen everything but I haven't seen this one before. This is a game of the year, and I think that Justin Jefferson catch, you can make an argument, a defensible argument, that was the best catch of all time. Just double, or two defenders on him, brings it uh, down with one hand. It was an insane play. Yeah, like you said, the Vikings are 7-0 and in one-score ball games. They are getting pretty lucky on how these games are finishing, but it does help to have superstars on your team in clutch situations, and that's exactly what happened here, next gen stats had a couple of fantastic uh stats here. Uh Justin Jefferson had nine receptions on plays with an under 50% completion probability. The most in a game ever before this was only six. He just had nine of them on 10 targets. Uh obviously just an incredible play. Early success rate for the Vikings, only 38%, but on third and fourth downs through the air, that jumps up to 57%. So that's how you create the, all of this chaos. Obviously, they didn't deserve this win early on in the game, but came back fighting back. And really, this is just more, more arguments for Justin Jefferson not being just the best player in the league right now. But we're talking about one of the freakiest starts of all time. He's currently first all-time in receiving yards per game, all the way up at 97 yards per game through the first three years of an NFL career. Okay. Can we talk through just the end-of-game happenings here? Last and, minute. And Go. mainly, let's talk through the dots with fourth and 18 left here with this ludicrous Justin Jefferson catch. Uh, here he is in the slot to the right, one-on-one -on -one against the safety, a prayer. And Kevin O'Connell said after the game that, hey, this wasn't scheme, this wasn't anything. It was, hey, Kirk, in my in your ear, I'm going to tell you to throw it up to our best player. It almost feels like the safety gets two hands on it, but Justin Jefferson not just brings it down and prevents the interception, but brings it down and doesn't allow it to hit the ground. Yep. And against his thigh like that was the most shocking development of the whole thing so you think that like hey this drive extremely important which it is but they get down to the one yard line what happens from there Hayden yeah so obviously they get stuffed a couple times Kirk Kirk Cousins with a pretty embarrassing effort on the fourth down sneak yeah. <laughs> uh to be honest he got like zero push on it it was just a classic Kirk he, Cousins he almost relied on the rest of his team to lift him off the ground That's and right. carry yes. him. There was no drive with his cleats. There was no, no drive. There was nothing. To, to <laughs> be fair, quarterbacks are made aware that they're about to take a kidney shot though. And CJ ham came in behind yes. him and just like arm pushed him. Like, yes. dude, you got to lay out your quarterback. You just got to go for it and give him that extra boost. So then the next play, obviously Josh Allen goes under center, fumbles the ball, Eric Hendricks for a touchdown to take the lead. Josh Allen with a big drive to send this game in, to overtime, there was a Gabe Davis catch that probably should have been overturned, but they sped up the game. Uh, the, the referees didn't make a play there, and very clutch by Josh Allen just to get him back into the ball game. But earlier on in the game, Josh Allen made multiple mistakes, and this has kind of been a trend this year more so than it was 
last season. I think this is the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. At peak, both of them are electric, but I think that Mahomes avoids these bad plays at a different rate from Josh Allen. I didn't see anything uh, like kind of directly about the arm, but I wonder if like these fumbles, some of these, like the back of his mind, there's something playing to that. He did have some type of injury after an interception when he went to uh, make a play on the, on the tackle. But for the most part, I didn't see anything drastically different from Josh Allen. He still had a good game for the most part, but it's really bad plays, really clutch performance by the Vikings. But most importantly, this was just Justin Jefferson, absolute takeover and deserves all of the money in the world. They haven't even paid him yet. I can't wait to see what this contract's going to look like. Josh Allen, four red zone interceptions the past two games as well. And tack on that fumble on him is in the missed exchange with the center. Four red zone turnovers, like not just four point plays where you don't get touchdowns and they turn into field goals, just directly, directly four scoring drives that get taken out away from you. I did think, Hayden, maybe because of that arm, uh, that UCL injury, we got to see more Devin Singletary inside the five and inside the 10 in this game. I think he had just the third and fourth rushing touchdowns from a non Josh Allen player on this team this season. One was James Cook, one was Isaiah McKenzie, and Devin Singletary got two here today. Yeah, nothing different with the running back rotation. Naeem Hines only played 8% of the snaps. Devin Singletary, 72% of the snaps. James Cook mixed in just a little bit. Devin Singletary, early in the game, lots of broken tackles, had one of the better runs of the day. And like you said, he had those red zone scores here. A couple last notes. Uh, Gabe Davis, great back shoulder jump ball touchdown. Uh, kind of a classic Gabe Davis play where a lot of a lot of his t- catches are on the sideline in coverage, improbable catches that he usually just kind of comes down with those. Doesn't do any of the easy stuff, but has he's on the same page with Josh Allen. Uh, Dawson Knox, 79% routes. He's at least on the tight end one-two borderline. So nothing too crazy for, on the Bills' end here. Uh, they have a couple injuries on defense, a couple injuries on the offensive line. I think they'll be squared away here. And then the Vikings, it, we're always playing this, this debate. Are they a good team, a great team, an average right. team? I think they're a good team. I think that they can beat basically any team on a good day like they did here. It did require an 81-yard touchdown from Dalvin Cook. Obviously, all of those uh, Justin Jefferson grabs. And then last note for the Vikings here, Adam Thielen, it is not pretty, but it's eight straight games with at least seven targets. At the same time, though, career low in yards per target. TJ Hawkinson lit it up again, his eighth career game with over 10 targets, uh, and that's 19 through two. Yeah, I almost think you can look at this and get worried about the Buffalo Bills defense, which at earlier parts of the season was by far the best. But then when you look at, you know, other than that 81-yard run that Dalvin Cook had, he had 13 carries for 39 yards or 38 yards. Uh, Adam Thielen had 49, T.J. Hawkinson 45, K.J. Osborne 35, you know? So it's just Justin Jefferson taking over in certain moments and then you not failing to hit on your red zone plays. And this is kind of like back-to-back weeks where something like this has happened for the Buffalo Bills. Um, Like you said, I think that there is a clear difference in the weight of how much Josh Allen probably feels like he has to carry in certain ways that Patrick Mahomes doesn't. But I could also look back here in week 17, week 18, and we say, okay, this little two-game stretch that the Bills had, they were unhealthy on defense, but they got better as they go along. And to your point with the Vikings, man, like other than the Eagles, who... Probably played an easier schedule than the Vikings have so far this season. Um, It's them. It's the Vikings. It's the 49ers, potentially, depending on what happens later on, as like the teams that are battling out here in the NFC. And it's any given week once you get to the playoffs. 
And like this Vikings team has showed that in the past. This, the Eagles have shown that in the past in certain playoff runs. And I think they have enough to do it because especially defensively, how they're utilizing Zadarius Smith and moving around to take advantage of the opposition's worst offensive linemen. They're frisky. They're definitely frisky. Even Pat Pete made a couple of plays this game too. Seven of Minnesota's wins this year have come within one score. And also TG Hawkinson, yes, getting noticed for his targets on this team, but Justin Jefferson steal 13 and 16 targets with TG Hawkinson the past two weeks. Uh, real quick, Hayden, Naeem Hines, only one target, one reception, and nine yards. We're still waiting to see why they made this move. Maybe it's a thing for the playoffs. I, I guess it would take a, a little bit of time for this to kind of sink in. Yeah, I, I can't explain. I thought by the second week he would have been playing more than 8% snap. So I guess he's a, he's a deeper hold, um, and then we've got to keep firing up Devin Singletary as like a RB2 kind of depending uh, on the matchup here. Sunday morning over in Germany, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win 21 to 16, improving to five and five on the season over the Seattle Seahawks. Um, weird box scores here, Daigle. Talk me through it because my eyes immediately jump to 22 carries for Rashad White compared to 14 for Leonard Fournette, who luckily got a touchdown. Learn that. Outplayed? Let's start with the overarching game because the Bucks did build an early two-score lead. And when the Seahawks started ramping it up and coming back, this game really boils down to a single play. Geno Smith's fumble inside the red zone in the third quarter. He even apologized for it afterwards in the post-presser, took full accountability, saying that that mis-exchange is something that shouldn't happen at all. Brady also threw a late interception. And so the Seahawks get the ball back, have a chance to cut it to even closer of a game. Geno faces a fourth and four on the next series following that fumble and makes an incredible throw. You need to watch that those last two drives for the Seahawks, actually. But an incredible throw, as he's done so many times this year, backpedaling, going to his left to Tyler Lockett, finding him for a first down to pick it up. Same drive, fourth and one. Geno scrambles to a left and fires to Marquise Goodwin, who beats Sean Murphy Bunning on a corner route to the back of the end zone to cut it to 21-16 overall but speaking of the Bucks offense and their box score Rashad White did get the start but Leonard Fournette still came in on the second drive and to the point where Fournette got injured in the third quarter out touched Rashad White 14 and 11 and then once Fournette was injured Keyshawn Vaughn came in the next drive but even so, Rashad White out-touched Keyshawn Vaughn 13-3 to close the game, including being used exclusively on the final drive and exploding for a 10-plus yard run to ice the game in the end. And now the tricky part is that the Bucks go on by. And so we have this ambiguous layover for 14 days to see, okay, did White do enough? And if he did do enough to cut into Fournette's timeshare even larger, is this offense good enough to support two running backs? That's still what I keep coming back to. I think the run blocking for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been abysmal all season long. So at the very least, they need someone to maximize whatever juice they have in that backfield. And it's so clear that Rashad White has the juice in comparison to Leonard Fournette. And sure, maybe you can bring in Lenny for short yardage situations or goal line situations or whatever you want to do. And But it's so clear that it, this at least should be a 50-50 split, if not just be given over to Rashad White moving forward. Because there have been points this year... Every time you can say, well, Leonard Fournette's better than pass pro. Not this year, bro. Not this year. He's more trusted as a receiver. Nope. Rashad White is an awesome swing pass, screen, whatever you want to call it, pass catcher out of the backfield. 
and then just maximizing the yards that are created for them. That's not happening at all for the Bucks offensive line this year because it's not nearly as good as it was last year. And so at least have someone with a motor with some explosiveness back there. And it needs to be Rashad White moving forward. There was like the other thing coming into this game, Leonard Fournette, they weren't sure. And this was, this is just a great story. They weren't sure Leonard Fournette was going to play because of a passport issue uh, that he was late to getting his passport, which of course, out of all the players on the team to have a passport issue, it happens to be Leonard Fournette. So they were saying that they were preparing that Leonard Fournette was not going to play until late in the week. Apparently just before they got on the plane, he did get his passport and was able to make the four hours before. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Obviously coming after the buy that we would, anticipate like a post by rookie bump situation but um it's just hard to tell i think we're gonna have to look at the the reporters like rest of the season would you straight up rather have lenny or rashad white i'm getting i would put it close uh i'd put it really close i think the upside of rashad white is what i would want to jump into that that's what i would want to bank on Um, and that's that's where i've stood this entire time is that White has had his chances and the issue is he hasn't looked explosive at all this is the first game he's looked are you do you think so yeah, I mean, I, I blame the offensive line, but I don't think, like Fournette, either of them have brought any amount of juice whatsoever. Uh, that's why I think both have just immensely struggled behind the offensive line. This is truly the first game where White looked explosive to me, anyways. I mean, D- Diggle had made the great point, though, is is this offense good enough to support two of them? Because if this is 60-40, we can only get so far. And I know that I, I'm anticipating the Bucks to figure things out. Like, Chris Godwin hasn't been the same. They've had some injuries around the offensive line. You would anticipate... Tom Brady, historically, the second half of games or seasons, just kind of kick off the coaching staff and, and ride the hot wave. So I think that'll get better, but they have to play better because a 60-40 split's not that intriguing to me. Either. But I think we also have to throw out our preconceived ideas of how a team would operate if their offensive line is bad in run blocking. As we saw today, they had 44 carries in comparison to 22 runs. Like, it was so clear heading into this game that they felt their best approach was going to be running the football. And so that's what they did at first down runs all season long. You know, like I'm not saying it's going to be efficient. I think there's just going to be a bunch of volume. And I would just rather have the player who I view as more explosive with potentially more upside than the dude who going through and trying to make the thumbnail for today with Luna Fournette. He looks large. He looks large right now. Um, And he's moving like he's a heavy man speaking from one to another, you know, like it's it, it is week it is week 10 it's okay he is falling into the end zone like all of his touchdowns there's nothing interesting about them you know and i think that there could be some interesting moments moving forward with rashad white so those 40 carries by the way were the most by a tom brady quarterback team since 2018 uh talk to me about julio jones i've got the dots this one was just before yeah in the second quarter 1348 we haven't seen very much at all of julio jones this season that's been disappointing, but here on what a 31 yard touchdown catches it underneath on a crosser and outruns the rest of the Seattle Seahawks secondary. And number 13 did not beat him to the goal line to stop the touchdown. As you can see in the dots, if you're watching live, uh, probably because Julio Jones is finally healthy. I don't think there are enough targets to go around here. Julio Jones with five targets, Chris Godwin, who we've been struggling to get there anyhow, since he's averaged 5.4 yards per target over the last month. Um, does score his first touchdown of the season. So a little bit of hope here. And then Mike Evans is the one who basically made the biggest plays throughout the game. Um, Six targets behind Goblins today. Anything on Seattle's end here? Kenneth Walker, this is his worst, let's say, statistical game of the season. Just 10 carries for 17 yards. Kind of looks like the Bucks defensive line from last year is back in terms of stopping the run. Meanwhile, eight targets, six receptions for 55 yards. 
uh, many in the fantasy community assigned the disbelief that Kenneth Walker could not catch passes uh, in negative game script. Daigle, he's our second leading receiver here. And he had been running the routes the past two weeks. The targets just weren't following, but now we see, okay, they don't mind dumping off to him. 11.7% uh, target share in week nine, and then this week, a season-high 24% target share, as you said, eight targets from Geno Smith. So any additional boost we can get to that floor since he has been uh, boomer bust but still hitting home runs for touchdowns because that's the type of player he is. If we can get him involved in the passing game, that's wonderful moving forward. I just want to say this was a quote-unquote bad Geno game, and he was making some insane throws down the end. His accuracy remains beyond elite right now. That touchdown to uh, Marquise Goodwin in the quarter of the end zone was 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 fantastic. So th this offense, I think, is pretty high floor. I mean, they, they can run it and pass it. I'm, st I'm still definitely in on the Seahawks in general. I, I kind of hate the idea that some are just waiting on the decline of Gino to hit at any moment because I don't think that's like really putting his perspective of the season uh, in focus, you know, because he's had so many more highs and then just a couple of down plays. And they're, he's just good. He's simply good. And you can have a couple bad series or a couple bad quarters and they can bounce back for sure. And isn't all the the sticky parts of quarterback play in pocket, not under pressure, uh, and just delivering? Right. And he, he seems like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league doing that right now. Yeah, he's not afraid to attack vertical. And I've even seen him this year make some plays under duress, too. So he he's being hyper-aggressive, and I love him for that. Uh, next coming up for the Bucks again, they're first in the NFC South at 5-5. Five and five. After the bye week, it's the Browns, it's the Saints, and it's the 49ers and the Bengals. So not the easiest four stretches of games. I think they get Deshaun Watson back, the Browns do. Uh, by that time. Interesting to follow. All right, next up, Jacksonville Jaguars, Kansas City Chiefs. Let me pull up the scores here. Because despite, let's say, a successful onside kick to open the game, winning the turnover differential by three, Trevor Lawrence playing a fantastic game, the Jacksonville Jaguars still lose by 10 points, 27 to 17. Uh, why, you might ask? Some of that is on the kicking game, but mainly it's just prof how proficient the Chiefs offense has evolved into now. Um, touchdowns to Kadarius Tony. We'll get to that in a moment. MVS touchdown. No gray touchdown. And then we close it out with a Travis Kelsey score, who also had a 46-yard catch. Um, the Jaguars defense just had eyes on Mahomes all day. And you could tell that Andy Reid was getting really excited to scheme everything open this week heading into the game. Because what they would do is have one wide receiver depart an area in zone coverage that Jaguars defensive back follow him out of it. And then another pass catcher just follows right into that zone. And they hit him on over routes over and over and over again. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster did start with a great game to the tune of two catches for 33 yards in the opening you know, couple series. Then leaves with a head injury. Um, and in his absence, MVS steps up. It felt like they kind of split snaps between Justin Watson and Sky Moore. But the huge difference, and I know what everyone wants to talk about, is Kadarius Toney with four receptions for 57 yards and a score to go along with two runs for 33 yards. Uh, early on, it was that Mikal Hardman jet action. In fact, that's where the first touchdown, his first career touchdown, let's put it that way, for Kadarius Toney happened. He wasn't even in the progression, just basically took the fake all the way to the end zone or excuse me to the sideline and Mahomes goes through his one two to three in the front side then realizes well if they're all covered here that means my backside guy and Kadarius Tony is going to be wide open walks it in and then is I would say 
His responsibilities evolved as a game went along, a couple more downfield routes, and then climbing the elevator uh, along the right sideline to go up and get a contested catch too. It's so clear that he moves differently than anyone else on this offense. And just hopefully from week 10 and on, the Chiefs get Kadarius Tony more and more involved because once they do, how shifty and special he was after the catch will make this offense even more spectacular, I think. We've noticed that more players come coming off concussions are missing the first game back. Um, so if that does happen again, the routes were out of 41 dropbacks, MVS 35. So basically a full-time player for him. Justin Watson with 30. Then you go to Kadarius Tony at 17. And then from there, uh, it's Sky Moore with only 11. So the pecking order would be MVS is like the only full-time player. And then it's like Justin Watson's uh, just empty calorie routes or Kadarius Tony potentially in week three, getting more uh, uh, volume and maybe even some more some more routes. And you know that his schemed up stuff is going to be pretty efficient like it was with McCole Hardman, who maybe even McCole Hardman comes back. So I don't think we'll really have a good picture of what the Chiefs wide receiver grouping is going to look like until like Wednesday when we get some more uh, practice reports. And, and Daigle, I don't know if it's as simple as, wow, Kadarius Tony looks so slippery. They have to get him more involved. They have to be him as a starting, use him as a starting wide receiver. Because like, what if we don't know the things that are going on behind closed doors and he just doesn't have his head around the playbook? And that's the issue in the roadblock sticking with him uh, in terms of being a starting wide receiver. Um, I think it's easy to say the slipperiness that he brought today, it's even better than what Mecole has. And just being able to manufacture, I don't know, five or six touches for him each game would be a big win. And I think he can do some special stuff off of that. But I, I don't know if we can immediately jump to, okay, this is full-time wide receiver running 80% of routes. And that might even happen this year, you know? And that was the issue with Michael Hardman is that although he was scoring touchdowns, it was hard to trust since he had done so on less than 80 receiving yards in three consecutive games. So we weren't really getting the volume. He was averaging six targets the last three games. Uh, we need Kardarius Tony to have the volume behind Travis Kelsey, but maybe as Hayden mentions, the injuries open that up. Even Marquez Valdez-Scaling, who did run his full allotment, uh, left today so, sort of banged up. There were lots of players actually throughout the NFL that left injured and then came back. So the injury report, I imagine, is going to be an absolute mess this week. Now, let, with all that said and trying to put context to it, if Kadarius Tony does start running full routes and like full participation, the the floor is the ceiling, whatever the hell Michael Jordan has been saying, you know, because look at where so many of these targets happen. And it's because Patrick Mahomes just sets people up for success to get after the catch or he buys time. And then on these broken plays, um, you are having one-on-one -on -one situations with the cornerback or defensive back on you. And then you can win after the catch again, like giving, we talk about so often across the league and we're here in week 10. How many can you say, Hey, this player who's not playing at a full-time rate right now can make the entire difference for this offense and take it to the next level. And Kadarius Tony can do that for the chiefs. They're basically re re replacing the run game for all these like manufactured things to Kadarius and McCall Hardman types. Uh, I would say this is the floor for CH. He played four snaps. This is the territory where it's like, is he going to make the roster next year? Bad. Yeah. Um, and there, there's uh, yeah. a note on that because Isaiah Pacheco had a red zone carry on first down that he fumbled really bad. In fact, that was the first in 27 games that the Jaguars had a red zone takeaway. And instead of them pivoting on over to Clyde edwards helaire which they did at points this time this season, Isaiah Pacheco got the first carry of the next drive. Um, Jarek McKinnon was the player in those hurry up 
two minute situations. And like you said, I think CEH has had zero catches on two targets and that's it. Like he probably isn't rosterable at this point. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon played way more snaps than he didn't. He had a downgrade on the Friday injury party. He was like truly questionable. So yeah, it's as bad as it gets for CEH right now. I put a, uh... Clyde edwards in the on the waiver wire drop list last week. Actually, um, Jarrett McKinnon has now seen eight targets in back-to-back games. This is what you needed to happen for these running backs to break out. Uh, is that one needed to go away and CEH went away? Um, I did want to talk about Trevor Lawrence because this was one of his better performances that we've seen all season. Uh, and it was probably the most vertical we've seen the Jaguars passing attack this year because as we've talked about every single week, Everything is condensed 20 yards and in for them this year. Uh, as you can see, big targets down the left sideline. In fact, a Christian Kirk one bounced off his helmet early on this drive, early on this game, if you go back and watch it. And then he threw some lasers to uh, Marvin Jones, perfect touch pass, and then one over on the right sideline too. That's a Christian Kirk touchdown. Uh, and then another Christian Kirk touchdown later on too. Like um, the big throws were there for Trevor Lawrence, made zero you know, turnover-worthy mistakes in this game. He was also trying his best to avoid sacks. That could have been seven or eight yards lost. And then instead, he turned them into just one or two yards lost. Uh, had a great scramble later on as well. Um, I know that there was a lot going on in the one o'clock window. But if you are not a believer in Trevor Lawrence, I would say go back and watch this game because this is now stacking two really good performances in a row that, I know people haven't watched, but I think should change the narrative of where Trevor Lawrence is during his second year in the NFL. It's still upsetting, though, that they opened the game with a recovered onside kick, and then the following possession, you had that Pacheco fumble, and the Jaguars' offense did absolutely nothing with it. Yep, yep. And, you know, I think one of that is Doug Peterson on the Kansas City Chiefs' 44-yard line elects to punt uh, instead or kick a field goal instead of going for it. He even told the sideline report halftime saying, I'm going to start going for it on fourth downs. Yeah, you're playing Mahomes. You, yeah. have, you can't punt the ball. You, you Leave your punter uh, inactive. That's yeah. my recommendation. Yeah. You, you should have done that from the start, buddy. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tre- Trevor was really, really great in this game. Sure, you're going to see a couple sailed passes. Who gives a shit, people? Like Trevor Lawrence was unbelievable in this game, despite just being, you know, 29 of 40 for 259 and two scores to go along with 26 yards on the ground. And I guess because they were working in so much negative game script, that is one reason why Travis Etienne just goes for 11 carries for 45 yards and 28 yards in the air, too. PFF, those are Lawrence's two best games of the year, the last two. It makes sense. It makes total sense as to why. Um, Hayden, I'm going to then roll on over to you for the Lions at the Bears because you picked games full of fireworks today, and this one did not disappoint as the Detroit Lions restore the roar. Three and six on the season, 31 to 30 over. The Chicago Bears with Amon Ross St. Brown back in our lives on 11 targets, 10 receptions, 119 yards. I want to give the Lions their their flowers at the end of this, but we the, the big story here is Justin Fields with this game, and it's just because of how productive he was. Next-gen stats, uh, they said that he had 132 yards on 10 designed runs this week. That's the most by a quarterback in a game in the entire next-gen stats era, so that goes back down to 2016. And then this year, Justin Fields has seven carries with over 20 miles per hour. That's the most in the NFL, just not at quarterback of all players. That is absurd stuff from Justin Fields. Uh, The game is definitely slowing down for him, but the real true difference here is just the quarterback design stuff. And I don't know if there's been a different type of 
scrambling, if they're encouraging it more, but he's been more efficient on the scrambles on top of that. Uh, so he's been an elite, elite, elite player. Uh, I think he's going to be a top three, top four, top five fantasy quarterback. I think you can put him in the same exact tier uh, as like Lamar Jackson per se, um, right into that elite quarterback one mix. I think this stuff is for real. Now, uh, who he's throwing the ball to, it was primarily Cole Komet. Uh, both throws were on the move uh, for um, Cole Komet. There was one bootleg to uh, Justin Fields left, and then Cole Komet's going on to the right side of the field wide open and then there was another move a shorter touchdown uh for Cole Komet 93% of the snaps he did leave late in the game but I think this is encouraging for Cole Komet in the fantasy wasteland right now I do think that he is interesting as like a low-end tight end one just because it's very clear that Justin Fields kind of taken the next leap Justin Fields also the most rushing yards in NFL history for a quarterback in any five game span now that 50-yard touchdown to Cole Komet. The broadcast attributed it to broken coverage, but Justin Fields scrambling to the flats sucked up the defender. So it wasn't broken. It was play design. And then Komet just broke free with no one close to him. Yeah, I mean, this is what you get. Like, you get chaos from defense when you have so much pressure from a running quarterback like this. So I think it's a little bit of both. It was it was good play design. It, even a wide-open throw, he did put that thing on the money. Um, the wide receiver rotation I found very interesting. Uh, Darnell Mooney hasn't done anything, but I think these big plays to Cole Komet kind of just indicates that a big game from Darnell Mooney is well within the range of outcomes. So I think I, you can continue firing him up as like a very boom bust wide receiver three flex, kind of depending on matchups and bye weeks. Uh, Chase Claypool though was fifth in wide receiver routes behind like Dante Pettis, uh, Equinemius St. Brown. Wow. Uh, we had, um, Byron Pringle in there. So, uh, another big, big win for the you don't need Chase Claypool to evaluate your superstar quarterback. Nobody is basically moving like Justin Fields outside of, say, like Lamar Jackson. Um, J- Chase Claypool wasn't helping Justin Fields on this touchdown run. I mean, this is not so stuff. Just his ability. Like you said, Hayden, it's not just designed runs where I think that the 66-yard touchdown this week was on a read, a zone read, read option, whatever you want to call it. Last week's 61-yard 60 yard touchdown run was on a scramble. So just the, the presence and the duality of both is crazy. But then, and I understand you can all say, like, this is the Lions. Okay, he did it last week against the Dolphins, too. Um, forcing everyone around him and just making plays out of nothing. I believe this was like a third down or a fourth down play, too. I mean, he is just putting a team that is trading away pieces defensively on his back and doing his best effort. And sure, they're three and seven. They might not have a great season this year, but just being able to instill the confidence in your young decision maker, as we talked about last week with Josh McCown, that that allows you to then build it into 2023, 2024, because it's harnessing and allowing the game to slow down. Because once he makes plays like this, he can say, okay, I know the speed of everyone else around me. I know that in this situation, I can press it this much or go this hard. And in other situations, I can try to throw it away, which maybe he should have later on in this game. And so just building the experiences in these moments that allow him to use both his throwing and mainly his rushing ability too is just really important for the development on a player. And we didn't see this more than, you know, two or three games ago at all this season. This 96 dot right here that he shrugs off, that's a 300 pounder. Just absolutely shrugged him off and led him in for a, a touchdown truck stick. Last note for... The Bears, and by the way, Justin Fields doing having this good of a game and the Bears losing is basically as good as it gets for the Bears organization uh, moving forward. Um, 
on the on the bad side, Khalil Herbert leaves with a hip injury. He was ruled out in the second half. David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert were mixing in kind of as as it was going. Um, and then on the flip side for the Detroit Lions, uh, one hell of a game from Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown specifically. Early on in the game, it was just Amon Ross St. Brown uh, for first downs. Like I think he had like six or seven first downs in the first half, and that continued in the second half. He did have um, a little bit of a leg injury late in the game, but it seems like he's going to be all right. The big news for fantasy circles for the Lions was DeAndre Swift. He only plays 30% of the snaps, and this wasn't because of a setback or anything like that. Uh, Jamal Williams was the 1A. Then DeAndre Swift comes in there for 30% snaps, and Justin Jackson, this has been the new wrinkle. He still plays 27 snaps, and this wasn't in the uh, garbage time, no nothing like that. Early on in the game, Justin ja- Justin Jackson was out there, and he was out there late in the game as well. So I don't know what's going on with DeAndre Swift because he was a full participant on Friday. There was no uh, reports before this game that he was going to be limited or anything like that. They're just not using him nearly as much, and it's really hard to uh, get DeAndre Swift back in like that top 10 conversation until we get uh, some more snaps because 30% is just not cutting it. Daigle, question for you. Instant reaction show, so you are not responsible for them four or five weeks from now, okay? As everyone knows, over these last couple weeks, it has been absurd from Justin Fields, like quarterback one overall territory in that 441 passing yards, 385 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, and one interception over the last three games, okay? Next up, Atlanta Falcons. Awesome. Jets, tough, but we can still roll with it. Packers after that, great. We can still roll with them in the top 12 quarterbacks. But once we get to, I don't know, weeks 14 and 15, hey, it's playoff fantasy football time. It's the Eagles. And it's the Bills. I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball into the future. Justin Fields as a starter in those weeks too. I believe so, but it's something I keep coming back to. What I suggested on Twitter a couple weeks ago was the the stack I wanted was Justin Fields and Deshaun Watson. Since Watson in the playoffs, wherever that's even applicable anymore, gets the Bengals, Ravens, Saints, and Commanders. Um, and I will figure it out from there. But... Justin Fields against the Bills, as you mentioned, Bills defense has been somewhat leaky recently. Also, this Bears defense is so atrocious that they don't have any choice but to keep Fields out there. You're still probably starting him, but is he a top five quarterback as he's been now for four consecutive weeks? I don't know, but you still probably take the rushing floor. Yeah, I agree. It's a situation that we keep suggesting, hey, monitor the waiver wire as we're going along if you're using fields as of right now because you have about four weeks to potentially stack a better option. And if not, a guy who can reel off his 60-yard touchdown run, apparently against anyone, uh, gives you a 12-point floor, which is pretty good. Amon St. Brown also these past two games without T.T. Hawkinson, 34.5% target share, and today a season-high 42% target share. Yeah, his targets, he had a 91% success rate on his 11 targets. That's absurd. Miami Dolphins beat the Cleveland Browns 39 to 17, improved to seven and three on the season. It's like clockwork, Daigle. Tua, three touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, 66 yards. Tyreek Hill, 44 yards and a score. But maybe the surprise, Jeff Wilson, 17 carries, 119 yards and a score. An absolute ass kicking by the Dolphins. No competition whatsoever. The Browns opened with a touchdown, start 7-0, and we think, okay, we got a game now. Um, And even on the Dolphins' very first possession, the Browns were subbing players in and out defensively, I assume, to combat the heat and the Floridian uh, dehydration in this one. But the Dolphins marched down, 
And that's all that happened throughout this game. To his third consecutive contest with three touchdowns, the Dolphins in that span have scored 31, 35, and 39 points. They didn't punt today. Only the fifth time in franchise history, the Dolphins have not punted in a game. And then actually outgained the Browns 491 to 297 in, in terms of offense. Uh, both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, they averaged seven and a half yards per carry today. Just plowing the way to a surgical. You see the completion rate and the numbers got pulled in the fourth quarter because this game was so far from over. Browns, a rare Nick Chubb fumble in the first half, uh, also stuffed on two separate fourth and short occasions when they tried to get the ball rolling. So yes, just literally the Dolphins taken to them. And, you know, Jeff Wilson doesn't stay healthy because of the style of player he is. He's a very violent runner. But man, when he's healthy, that violence, uh, you could just see it on film. And that's one of those games today where he looks like shot out of a cannon on a handful of carries. Is it this simple, Daigle? Jeff Wilson, 19 touches. Raheem Mostert, 12 touches. Jeff Wilson is the one. And Raheem Mostert is the two. Yes, and Wilson has now out-touched Mostert in back-to-back games since joining the team. So this isn't a one-week apparition. He did so six days with the playbook as well. So I do agree. It's such a shrewd move by the Dolphins. And we talked about this at the deadline on that show, Hayden, where you go from literally the first signing of free agency last year in Chase Edmonds, which you expect to be a big part of this running scheme. And he he was the least efficient running back in the league this season. To then go to one who ranked by all advanced metrics in the top 10 of that, who also knew the playbook in Jeff Wilson for just a fifth rounder because you're making a push for this season. Like, get rid of the mistake that you made in free agency and greatly improve on it. And if this makes Miami a balanced team with an offensive line that can be questionable at spots but plays well against the Browns, albeit the Browns defensive tackles are among the worst in the league at stopping the run, uh, that's amazing. Like, that, again, sets you up for this window to win, which the Dolphins are in right now. It looks like Raheem Mostert started the game, but uh, Jeff Wilson played 60% of the snaps, and late in the game, it was Jeff Wilson in their last touchdown drive. or I put drive in quotes. It was just a 20-yard Jeff Wilson touchdown run uh, late in the game. So very similar usage as it was last week where Raheem started, played the two-minute drill, but when they're actually just trying to run the ball like normal, that's where they have Jeff Wilson kind of more as the power back. So I'm with you guys. I'll be uh, ranking Jeff Wilson a couple spots ahead of Raheem Mostert in um, in my rankings next week. Anything on the Browns here you want to talk about? Jacoby Brissett, some people liked him as a streaming option. Just one touchdown. Did have 40 yards on the ground, which obviously helps. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones completely outgains Amari Cooper, 99 yards to 32. At the very least, Nick Chubb gets 63 yards and 11 carries and a score. Not too much. It was a season-high target share for Donovan Peoples-Jones as well. And, man, Amari Cooper, I don't know if y'all have been aware, has these weird... I brought them up to Hayden because Daigle, I don't know if I believe in them, but they are proving to be true it's in it's home now splits. it's now four games on the road this year and he's totaled 120 receiving yards compared to 450 and all five touchdowns at home and I expect, I, I expected against uh man coverage which he's historically plowed through like this would be an okay spot to run him back but dude like he disappeared today it's it's wild what's going on i got nothing <laughs> <laughs> I know Nick Chubb did have like a 33-yard touchdown run, and other than that, it was 10 carries and and 30 yards for him. Um, they got their ass beat. It's literally that simple. It's 
that simple. Their, their season's over. They're three and six, yes. man. Their, their, their goal was to hang around until Watson got back, hoping you were competing. And what they didn't bank on was the defense being atrocious. Injured a lot, but also very bad. And really, they should have started 3-0 and because they had that Jets debacle in week two. So, like, that would have been a huge boost. They are 1-5 and five in their last six games. 1-5 and five in their last six games. All right. Let's now go to the Colts at the Raiders. A few things to talk about here. Sure, the first score, 25-20. Jeff Saturday gets his first victory as head coach here. But even before this, the weirdness of this game opened during the one o'clock window. We get news from Zach Kiefer that Matt Ryan is taking starting snaps from starting center Ryan Kelly and Sam Ellinger is working with backup centers. Um, that is such a statement to me from this perspective because Jeff Saturday had the liberty to instantly name Matt Ryan as a starting quarterback. That's a dick kick to Frank Reich, who had Sam Ellinger bestowed on him, forced upon him by Jim Ursay as a starting quarterback. And I'm sure Frank Reich would have loved at 3-3-1 three, three and one to move over to Matt Ryan as his starting quarterback because it's so obvious to all of us that he's the better option to actually win games. Yet again, the respect and responsibility that Jeff Saturday has immediately walking through the door and Ursay allowing him to do that I'm not saying that life is fair at all, but I think that's a very notable action that we get out of the gate. That was the best coaching move of the week is Jeff Saturday going to Matt Ryan. Like you said, it's very notable about who is running things over there and how inconsistent this ownership has been. Um, Jeff Saturday seems like a, a, a cool dude. They definitely were rallying behind him in a close win right here, but uh, Sam Ellinger's out there. They do not win this game. So very confusing uh, team management, the whole thing. Um, but for Michael Pittman and all Jonathan Taylor, like Matt Ryan is so clearly ahead of Sam Ellinger on the field. And I'm glad that the Colts made this decision because the, the, the Ellinger Colts were going to be unwatchable. And at least Jeff Saturday is going to be pretty interesting. Correct. But, but you agree with me that like Frank Reich probably would have wanted oh. to go to Matt Ryan. Like it's, oh, it's, of course. it's just Ursay now with the guy that he wants as his coach, allowing him to do what's best for the team instead of tanking in the opposite direction, which is yeah. what seemed like the path that the Colts are walking down previously okay let's dive into this actual game because really at the end of it was this very fascinating sequence okay uh a three play stanza if you will matt ryan had a 39 yard scramble on a passing play which out of nowhere never expected this michael Pittman then caught the next play for a 10 yard gain that he fumbled it goes back to the line of scrimmage that a raider should have and could have easily fallen on and helped them seal this victory Instead, Michael Pittman somehow is able to fall back on to the ball and then immediately on the next snap, Paris Campbell on second and nine scores a 35-yard touchdown. Um, then, following series, Derek Carr throws into double coverage for a near interception, staring down the middle of the field uh, with Devontae Adams tipped in the air, easily interceptable. It is not. Then the next snap, climbs the pocket, 20-yard dart over the middle of the field for Devontae Adams, who takes it for 48 yards and a score. It was a very, very close game at the end of this one. Again, the Raiders were driving for a score to win it in the last minute. Devontae Adams was taking over, uh, but on a fourth down at the end, uh, Stefan Gilmore in one-on-one -on -one coverage bats it away, locks Devontae Adams down, who on third down, uh, Foss Moreau drops a go-ahead touchdown score. 
So look, Jeff Saturday 100% gets the win. I can't tell you exactly the differences of Parks Frazier being a play caller. It's more this offense in the Colts can be presentable um, and in the passing game because mill the field work, so on and so forth. And it truly helps that we get the best Jonathan Taylor performance that we've seen all year at 22 carries, 147 yards, including his fifth carry of 15 plus yards this year, a 66 yard touchdown. Again, the, the closest thing we've seen to JT of 2021. We'll have to see how much this was because no name Hines, no Deion Jackson, but Jonathan Taylor played 60 of 64 snaps. We were not seeing that type of usage earlier on in this season. If this holds, we can get some pretty freaky Jonathan Taylor numbers down the stretch. And that should be a complete 180 from most people's stances, myself included, um, just because if Matt Ryan's the quarterback and he's going to be playing that amount of snaps, we can we can see some pretty high ceiling games. What's your thoughts, Diggs? I think we talked about Jonathan Taylor as a in a buy low situation. Obviously, that window's closed now, but the, the thing was, before injury, he was still handling 75% of the team's running back touches. That's a player we want to target. And so to get 22 of 26 running back carries, see 100% of the team's running back targets, like yeah. it is still elite usage that was happening before injury. So, yeah, like it's almost, it just makes sense that Jeff Saturday would understand who his best players are and then ride them. And it might go a little bit deeper than that. Like during their opening press conferences, also when they said Sam Ellinger was going to be the starting quarterback of this team, uh, Jim Irsay revealed that over the past or on two other occasions, he's tried to hire Jeff Saturday as the offensive line coach and he declined. It's arguable that the blocking improved here in the running game too. Cause a lot of these runs were just up the gut here. You can see the 66 yard touchdown run that Jonathan Taylor had and he went untouched untouched because the right side of the offensive line just blocked down. It was one-on-one -on -one versus safety and boom, he's gone. So maybe that continues moving forward. I am with you, uh, Hayden, when you mentioned that, like, no nine hinds, no passing situations, because they were uh, there were times when, you know, a third down back, quote unquote, was probably needed. And, you know, it's Jordan Wilkins and Zach Moss on the roster and there's no clear Deion Jackson like player. Um, but even just from like a pure individual who can create explosives, this has been what's true, been truly missing from JT this year, among other things. So I'm just really, really pleased to see it really pleased. Would it be unfair for me to say this This game was said more about the Raiders than it did about wow. the Colts? Because, okay. I mean, first of all, there was a lot of plays where I saw it was wide open Colts players, and including on that run. The, the defense has no talent, and it's because of their draft picks. We went over in the last show. The offense, like the, like you said, in that fourth down with uh, where Gilmore locked up Devontae Adams, that can't be your play call. It's fourth and six. You don't need a touchdown. It's just a, a back shoulder fade, like 20 yards downfield. That's the play call that you get designed. Yeah. We've seen Adam so, struggle against like double teams because they're not scheming him open. Raiders got their first sack in this game in the fourth quarter, the first time in 13 quarters, okay, since week seven. Derek Carr opened this game 0 for 5, then I believe hit his 15 of his next 16. But so many of that was shorter receptions, shorter targets. Let's get the ball out of his hands. He still does not look comfortable in this offense. He was missing open checkdowns on like angle routes to Amir Abdullah. Um, again, I think the end of the game really worked because either it was Devontae Adams making a one-hand stab catch along the left sideline on third down, then on a diving touchdown grab, Foster Monroe with the defender draped all over his back makes it on another one. And then it's, 
hey, Devontae, I'm going to throw it to you on a stick. You make um, someone miss and then get yardage. Like Matt Collins didn't have his first catch until five minutes left in the entire game. Josh Jacobs looked great. You know, I know it only says 78 yards and a score and another 28 yards in the air, but he was what was keeping this team going. And I'm, I'm fearful that Derek Carr just doesn't look comfortable in a Josh McDaniels offense. And we still get what 11, 10 more games of this, eight more, nine more games of this. Like, I don't know how it's going to get better midseason, and they're already two and seven and going absolutely nowhere. Adams has 17 and 14 targets the past two weeks. That's literally what the offense has become. It's exactly just funneling through him on those routes you spoke of. Uh, looking at Chandler Jones, guess how many sacks he has this year? Zero. 0.5. Yep. He yep. chipped in. Uh, also, very quickly on the Colts side of the ball, we did see a little bit of a resurgence for Paris Campbell. Now, 32% target share in this game. His last three games with Matt Ryan, 26% target share, whereas he had a 13% target share from Sam Ellinger. I actually want to give a shout out to Kylan Granson, who was making plays early in this game. It was a lot of outbreaking routes. And I know Jelani Woods didn't play and maybe another one of their tight ends too. And so maybe that's why he got a lot of focus, but that was a random name that popped up here. Yeah. I mean, Hayden, I think you put it best on Twitter where Josh McDaniels notoriously has a difficult playbook to comprehend. And it's so clear. Nothing is clicking here. Everywhere nothing. he goes, it's like, it's like if when Mac Jones was there, when it, he was with the Broncos, now it's, it's like, oh, his, it, we just don't understand the playbook. How about come up with a playbook that's a little bit easier to understand? Game that finished while we were on the air. So I know Hayden's going to do his best to cover it completely. The Green Bay Packers shockingly beat the Dallas Cowboys 31 to 28, improved to four and six. Dallas drops to six and three of the first four quarters that you saw, Hayden. Talk to me about it. Well, this was a great game from obviously Christian Watson scores three touchdowns. What the Broncos did or the the Cowboys did, and it makes a lot of sense, is they played a ton of man coverage. And that's basically just saying the Packers, we don't think that your wide receivers are good enough because they haven't been good enough for most of this year. I saw the Trevon Diggs on Alan Lazard a bunch of this game. I saw him a couple of reps where he was actually double teamed. That left Christian Watson one-on-one in isolation. Christian Watson had a couple drops here, but he got deep on multiple occasions. He could even had another touchdown down the field, but as Greg Olson pointed out, he was looking at the quarterback instead of upping the air for the ball and the ball hit his fingertips. But where you get Christian Watson on these crossing routes and go routes, that's where his athleticism shines best. And they can use that type of receiver. Uh, and that was basically the difference in this game. So uh, that nothing from Almazar, Tanya, none of the other wide receivers really did all that much. Uh, Sammy Watkins for a play here and there. Uh, but it was just Aaron Rodgers making a couple of plays at the end. And then the Cowboys offense in the second half really going stagnant. The, the touchdowns are sexy, but what I look at is what he did behind the box score. And what he did behind the box score was be healthy for the first time since week one, run a route on 85% of dropbacks, and see a 42% target share from Aaron Rodgers with the Titans, Eagles, and Bears coming up before the Packers week 14 mm. by. That's why I'm interested. Mm. I just love, and I feel great for Christian Watson here. You have to. Like, how he opened the season with what would have been what an, a 75-yard touchdown, then not being healthy at all during your rookie season, dealing with head injury after head injury, to now getting a performance when your team has a massive upset and scoring three touchdowns in it when your fellow rookie in Romeo Dobbs was sitting out of this game for injury. Like, hopefully this is the springboard for the rest of a season, the rest of his career, because as like a vertical playmaker, this team has been sorely missing that at the very least he can hopefully be that because his athleticism is undeniable, 
but if you can evolve into anything more despite being 24 years old, that's a big plus. But again, at like the very least, a vertical role player can have success here because as we saw, a few of these big catches by Christian Watson was one-on-one coverage based on what the single high looks that the Cowboys were giving and just perfect placement from Aaron Rodgers, which we've seen very little of this season on downfield routes. At one point in the game, late, late, uh, Next Gen Stats tweeted out that the Cowboys were playing cover one, which is man defense, on 14 of 16 passing plays. That's 88%. That's the highest in a game since at least 2018. Uh, Packers did have a, a really bad special teams play, and that's kind of what's cost them some games earlier on with Amari Rodgers, who I can't believe they're still getting that much playing time. Uh, for the Cowboys, basically what happens here is they were moving the ball all right, but there was two really bad interceptions i think you can make an argument that neither of them were dak prescott's faults the first one was one in the end zone dalton schultz uh should have kept running to get his man out of the area dak prescott throws an interception the second one uh cd lamb probably should have ran flat he runs deep down on a post and the safety comes and cuts that off two looks really bad interceptions that look really bad for dak prescott um and then i would say the other note here michael gallup has just not looked all that great. Um, he had a right non-contact knee injury. He was able to come back in the game, but saw a couple of reps of him basically like falling down, running his routes. He just doesn't look like he has nearly the same explosiveness. Was able to at least finish the game, but uh, they've been really connected to Odell Beckham. And I wonder if two players coming off ACL being kind of rotated into maybe that Michael Gallup shouldn't be playing full snaps. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why the Cowboys end up losing. It's going to be really interesting to see what this backfield becomes also when Zeke returns because maybe it doesn't amount to anything. But even last week, remember, running backs coach comes out and mentions Tony Pollard being limited to 15 touches, being limited to 35 snaps. Today, he played 72 snaps. Wow. Uh, was a yep. full-time player. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know what happens. We've seen this team go backwards many times when they had op the option to. We'll have to see. Well, and we didn't get any of those vintage Tony Pollard explosive plays. Like he had that one 14 yard rushing score. His reception was a long reception of nine yards. So like, I'm not saying take or giving him more snaps takes away from that, but it's almost a workhorse workman like performance that we got from Tony Pollard, which I don't know if we've ever seen one of those so far. Yeah. He had a negative EPA on the ground and a 38% success rate, which is a little bit lower than kind of what the average is, but yeah, that's, that's gotta be a career high for Tony Pollard. Uh, Zeke Elliott, probably 50, 50, maybe a little bit better than that to return uh, next week, especially after this loss. I, I think the Cowboys will be, will be fine. There's like an, an embarrassing loss because it happened in such a bad way at the end. Uh, but I think those two interceptions were like miscommunications. I, I will say though, CeeDee Lamb and, and Dak Prescott kind of get on some of these miscommunications a little bit more than you'd want like your elite quarterback one and elite wide receiver one to be on. It's not the same as some other offenses in the league. And that's kind of kept them down maybe one tier versus the rest of the, the powerhouses in the NFL. Now for NFC seeding though, huge two games coming up for them because it's at the Vikings and then against the New York Giants. You know, two teams that right now are propelling themselves in the NFC contention. So I know that they're third in the NFC East right now. The Dallas Cowboys are third. But what's crazy, I would make the I would make the the Cowboys the favorites in both of those games. And by the way, shout out to Packers fans who I joined with Dallas fans who were traveling to the game from Texas and from Appleton, Sheboygan, Kohler, 
the nicest people, literally, you will ever meet in your entire lifetime. Literally want you to just see their city or um, village. Village. One final note. Uh, Daigle, were you as shocked as I was to see Aaron Jones get 24 of these carries to AJ Dillon's 13? Like, maybe it was more of how he ended last week's game with Aaron Jones. Um, how he's on the injury report all week. But I was expecting... Uh, not 24 carries out of him. Let's put it that way. I mean, 39 carries in total for the Packers to just 14 uh, completions. That's not so stuff. That's, and Rodgers, again, those three touchdowns, they come on 20 pass attempts. That's it. Uh, there were there were too many performances today where teams are hiding their quarterback with 30-plus uh, running back carries. But, yes, I was only, like you, surprised because of the injury, um, even in being removed from the injury report on Friday. Uh, the, but the touch share, remember, this is what was happening before Aaron Jones initially got injured since he had handled uh, 81% and 69% of the team's running back touches in two games prior. Did we talk about the Odell news at all, where he's even told teams that he doesn't want to come in and immediately sign? Like, he wants to wait until after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah healthier and in better shape, which I don't know people can do actually during Thanksgiving. So it's one of those where it's almost a true playoff push and not over these next two to three to four weeks that he's going to be a huge help. So that's just for fancy purposes. I want to put that out there. Yeah, I agree. I, and, I think if he has anything, that's a bonus for you. And in the waiver wire column last week, I think I had him behind Terrace Marshall just because if you needed somebody immediately, Odell Beckham wasn't that individual. Also, it was a thin week. This week, we have Christian Watson and a handful of others. So Beckham will still be on there, but buried. Broncos at Titans. If Oof. you did not watch this game live, you do not have to watch it <laughs> later on. Um, I wish I was fluent in like French or Portuguese or something because I could tell you that Russell Wilson is trash in 2022 in at least a different language. So you wouldn't have to hear it in the same way over and over and over again. But this guy's brutal. Like he's just really bad right now. Uh, 21 of 42 for 286 yards, one score and one interception. I understand that he's missing a number of starting offensive linemen, but it felt like over and over and over again, this team was in third and six plus third and eight plus third and 11 plus. He actually did a decent job early in this game, converting some of those. But way too often, it turned into, I'm going to heave it up and try to allow Cortland Sutton or someone else to win on the outside. I'm trying to pull up his passing chart here because it shows that Russell Wilson was 4 of 15 on passing plays that went 10 plus air yards in this game. Uh, he just blindly throws these third and long conversions up and Cortland Sutton came down with a couple uh, Jalen Virgil had a 66 yarder on his only target in this game, but nothing is getting better in the Russell Wilson department here that again, you can stack on top of yourself. And this game ends with a sack fumble. One of six sacks he took in this game, followed by an immediate interception that he forced over the middle of the field. So I don't even know what reset button you can hit because just something has to totally change for this not to be a complete disaster in 2023. And I don't even know what kind of stock you put into Cortland Sutton's 26% target share because Jerry Judy reportedly we're looking at an ACL injury. Um, and then also no KJ Hamler in this game. So when Kendall Hinton's your number two, where else are you going to go with the ball? Yeah. I mean, the Judy injury happened in the first quarter. Uh, it was a target of the middle of the field, non-contact goes down. Uh, and then, as you said, I think some people feared multiple injuries and we'll find out more later on this week, but it does not sound good. 
if the defense doesn't break down on that Jalen Virgil target, like what is this offense? What Correct. happens today? It, it, yeah, it, it was just the safety slipped and couldn't get over the top. And then that is it. And I mean, there's nothing again, like I said, to stack from series to series that you can find an identity for this team. There was a potential big Greg Dulcich play over the middle. That was like a one handed just out of his grabs grasp. But um, it's gross. Like it's really I, I, gross. After the game, the coaching staff said that they seemed like they dodged a bullet with Jerry Judy. It, sounded like, it might be like an ankle sprain, something like that. But even with that, that could be multiple weeks. And we've seen Jerry Judy play through this uh, these type of injuries and played really bad. And they're not playing for anything. So I, I would expect Jerry Judy to not play all that much down the stretch here pending some news. So for Cortland Sutton, I mean, he's going to be like the most disgusting wide receiver three. But like, you know what it is? It's almost and this comparison might not make sense a taylor heineke to terry mclaurin throw it up and pray style contested catches that you're getting from russell wilson to quote and sutton now like it's all a flip of a coin is this third down heave along the sideline which is almost an ad defender going to be a throw that's inbounds and catchable for court and Sutton to go up and get because none of these guys are running wide up like these aren't concepts it really is all along the sideline and then I'm going to ask you to make this play for me and bail me out of the situation. I'm throwing it blindly up to you. It's so gross. I know I keep saying it. Uh, I also feel bad leading off with a team that's three and six because somehow, once again, the Tennessee Titans are six and three, even after starting Malik Willis for two games and they get Ryan Tannehill back here. And look, it's not like they had to do that much. Like Derrick Henry, 19 carries for 53 yards. And the two big plays where Ryan Tannehill passes to Nick Westbrook Akina one was a flea flicker that he was wide open for a 63 yard touchdown. And another one was a great post pattern to a touchdown, the back pylon from Ryan Tano. I can't tell you exact things that this passing offense was great at today. Cause those are really the two plays that made the entire game to go along with one Chig Okonkwo catch and run and Austin Hooper third and 11 conversion. So I love that the Titans and Mike Vrabel and company are able to win games like this but it gives me no more confidence in their offense to have success once they do reach the playoffs. The same issues that we've had for them over the last two years, too. Robert Woods leads with 38 routes, um, and then Nick westbrook and then Traylon Burks returns. They kind of split work. Uh, more three wide receiver sets this week, it looks like, from the stats. I think Derrick Henry may still be bothered, too. Did it look like that to you, Josh? Because now we've seen, after three consecutive games of at least 30 touches, the past two weeks, 17 and 21 touches, and he's played less than 60% of the snaps in both those games. I'll have to go back and, and look at that specifically. There was okay. this weird moment also in third and three that instead of giving it to Derrick Henry or even giving it to Dontrell Hilliard, I actually think it was a third and one. They bring Malik Willis in a zone read play and he fumbles in that situation and then they give the ball right back over and luckily the the uh broncos didn't capitalize on it but there are still like these minuscule issues that todd downing might have but i actually think that ryan Tano gives them some bit of consistency and it's just you know this team's gonna hang around all year long they really are but it feels like one thing has to happen like either trail on burks emerges who was non-existent in this game like truly non-existent um or flea flickers have to hit to go on top of the Derrick Henry stuff. Uh, but good on them to win this game by missing so many defensive players because their defense has been the identity. And even David Long, their great linebacker, missed portions of this game. So that's a huge feather in the cap of the Titans.
we're going to learn how good the Titans are at Packers versus the Bengals at the Eagles. The next three games, we'll, we'll figure out if they're good or fake it. I like that. this is why this is why I thought the Jaguars still may be a good uh, live bet to win the division, but also they're not helping themselves like that a lot. Uh, Hayden, I believe you also had the Saints at the Steelers. Is this correct? Uh, don't uh, get me involved with this. Unfortunately, I did. OK, well, talk to me about this beautiful, gross madness of 20 to 10. The Pittsburgh Steelers beating the New Orleans Saints uh, lead off anywhere you want to, because not one single player from either side jumps off the screen here. The Saints only ran 45 plays because the Steelers, who didn't commit a turnover for the third time this year, hoarded the ball for nearly 39 minutes in this game um, with, as you can see, 32 running back carries and then tack on Kenny Pickett's eight runs as well. New Orleans was also flagged 10 times for 74 yards, including a flag in the end zone, which set up Kenny Pickett's one-yard touchdown dive. Uh, Pat Fryermuth and this team's first game without Chase Claypool leads with a 23% target share, which he's basically been doing now, averaging eight targets in the full games. He's played without suffering an injury from Kenny Pickett so far. But overall, not much to see here. Uh, an offense getting back to establishing the run, hiding Kenny Pickett, and leaning on Najee Harris and Jalen Warren post by Najee Harris, his 20 touches matches a season high. Jalen Warren's the first time he's seen double digit touches with 12 in any game this year. And so it became essentially not so much a timeshare, but definitely a 60 40 and getting Warren in particular involved on passing downs, which is why he led the backfield and targets. I'm looking at uh, just the, the snap counts and Friar Muth and George Pickens as expected are, basically full-time players. Uh, I was just going to ask you, Josh, what, what are we going to have in, in Scottsdale? I'm thinking uh, tacos and margaritas. Dinner on you, bud. Oh, you... Um, what, what did y'all bet? I, I bet him Kenny Pickett versus... Oh, Andy he had the rushing score. Oh it wasn't my even gosh. close. I swept you. It wasn't even close. I wasn't sweating it for a second. Margaritas, chips and guac, tacos. I'll see you. Oh, he had the rushing score. That's why you oh, got he it. Oh, whipped your ass. No. How how is 199 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions and a compared win. to 174, one you, touchdown Your quarterback two lost through two interceptions and hasn't sniffed a rushing yard since 1996. Uh, he had uh, a rushing yard today on three carries, sir. And he don't. Chris Olave also, 17.5% target share. Oh, was I didn't even... Was was Crystal Lobby's lowest target share since week one, which of course was also the last time Jarvis Landry was available with Michael Thomas. So just something to keep in mind moving forward. We'll get Even though, no, that's coming from you, but the Jeremy dinner will be trust me, that'll be a def, different bucket, and I will not make you. Uh, I'm going to text Jeremy right now. Do. Hayden's requesting margaritas and tacos in we Scottsdale. Multiple weeks. Also, uh, I know y'all tried to talk about this game, but Taysom Hill now. Two total carries the past two weeks. Obsolete, as you're worried about paying for tacos. Don't get tacos in Scottsdale, by the way. You can do better than that. And I forgot what else I was going to say because I was now I, talking about tacos. My my two comments here. I think one reason Alvin Kamara, without watching this game, had such an abysmal eight carries for 26 is because the, the Saints were missing two starting offensive linemen. I think that's important to say. And then Daigle, question. First game without Chase Claypool here. Did we see any Pat Fryermuth detached slot work more so than usual? You know what I mean? Like a pure slot player versus his, just uh, his tight end stuff. His routes from the slot were actually a season high rate. Boom. And George Pickens got that end around for a touchdown at the goal Correct. line, which would be typically it's, to Jace Claypool. 
Well, it, well, but remember, Chase Claypool hadn't seen more than two carries in any game since week one, so it's weird that they then gave Pickens two carries out of nowhere. But yes, that's great. High you're lucky, four. That's you're lucky that wasn't a passing touchdown, Josh. This would have been a runaway uh, train. I wonder if we get Jameis Winston next week, too. Because you're acting like Kenny Pickett doesn't look like garbage out there right now. I'm not the one defending Andy Dalton. Next, uh, jo- uh, John, you're the one who's your defending point. Kenny Pickett, and I win. Uh, Andy, Andy Dalton now, like these two performances back to back, the whole point of starting him was because he made the offense functional. Uh, the offense is not functional, right? Right. I, I think it's worth a conversation. Well, the whole thing if he's pressured, Andy Dalton's going to suck. TJ Watt came back, pressured him at a really high rate, five sacks. End of story for Andy short Dalton. week as well. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's talk about Thursday night football. We got three more games here to cover. Uh, Carolina Panthers beat the Atlanta Falcons 25 to 15. Deontay Foreman, 31 freaking carries, 130 yards. The weather sucked in this game. That was part of the reason why DJ Moore got four for 29. Um, I don't think there's anything really to say about either of these sides other than I don't think it's a good idea. Like, I understand every team wants to win, but the Panthers are starting to play themselves out of this arena of teams that all need quarterback improvements that keep on trucking along and coming out with these moral victories and stuff uh, long-term not going to help you find your quarterback of the future. I think but. my biggest note here is just kind of see Pat what to do with them. The Falcons had four running backs with at least nine snaps. Um, and then Tyler Algier actually outsnapped him. CPAT's going to get his cause he's so efficient on them, but the Falcons can get into a rut, and then if he's not going to be dominating touches, it's I'm a little bit nervous that his his floor is certainly much lower than uh, RB2. Does he have enough juice to kind of make up for the difference? We'll see, but I'm a little disappointed that in the second week back, uh, didn't see a larger chunk of the It was touches. a short week, though. That's what I've been chalking it up to was three, four-day turnaround. Okay. Uh, also, for Deontay Foreman, I was tepid on him going into this game, actually, because we were getting Chuba Hubbard back. Hubbard obviously led Foreman and carries and targets the last time they played together. And so I was quite shocked to see the 31 carries. Again, rain. Uh, the game script worked out for a team that only had 19 dropbacks. But yes, uh, good to see Deontay Foreman out there leading the team in touches. Uh, LaVisca Chenault has four or five manufactured touches this year and scored touchdown on two of them. Uh, it is intriguing to me that they have not even tried to use him as a legit wide receiver in the slot or especially outside at all. I think that's very telling. Cardinals at Rams. Cardinals win 27 to 17. The big takeaway here in the Colt McCoy versus John Wolford battle is in the final frame of this game. Cooper Cup on three receptions and negative one yards leads with what looked to be a severe ankle injury. Um, Matthew Stafford was probably expected just to miss this game, but Cooper Cup, who has been the only consistent part of this Rams putrid offense all season long, uh, that is certainly something that we will all be monitoring moving forward. And there's not obviously a clear-cut replacement for Cooper Cup on this team. Like, I don't know if they move Allen Robinson into that role, if that makes Tyler Higby go to eight receptions, 73 yards, more viable here, but it's something that can't happen in what has been, again, a miserable season top to bottom for the Rams at large. After the game, uh, Coach Sean McVay said that he, quote, just knows it didn't look good. It didn't sound good on Cooper Cup's injury. It was like the mechanism of a high ankle sprain, and then at worst could be one of those uh, fibula, tibula, or tibia uh, 
injuries. So we'll see, but this, this, their season's so beyond over what's even the point of bringing him back. So this could be a huge storyline where we might not get him back for not just this month, but potentially the entire season. Same thing with, with the Matthew Stafford stuff. I don't see why rush him back this the season's a lost cause and they, they they're not even tanking for the first round pick because they don't even have one so it's like it it's a runaway train there's there's no point for the rams right now and it's not they're just all- offensively defensively it's been abysmal too special teams it's been abysmal um yeah i mean it's just a huge fancy football storyline is is why i wanted to bring it up because again it's not like you can just use another player in the same phase because a Rob was signed to play a different area than Cooper Cup has been, you know, these last two years. And it's just been incredible again how bad the Rams have been this year, still how consistent Cooper Cup is on a weekly basis. And if that goes away, I think we can see even a depth lower from the Rams this year than we've seen so far. Do you think McFay, Donald, and Stafford retire on the same day, or are they going to no. space it out in a few months here? No, I I think they all come back for, for I'm one. I'm not sure if Donald does. Interesting. Didn't he get a little extension this year with some guaranteed money? I think it was money? a big, big bonus money. I'll have to go read over the cap, but I, I think of the three, that's that would be the one where I would expect him to be out. The of the Cardinals offense also the big injury news was Positives. sitting out was getting Zach Ertz carted off the field. Um, not good, especially for someone in his age. But honestly, all they did was hit the B button and throw DeAndre Hopkins pretty and much Rondell Moore entire I game. Mean, yeah, and Moore definitely came on stronger at the end whenever or in the second half whenever Ertz was out. Yeah, I mean, 14 targets for DeAndre Hopkins. I want to see where those are later on. Rondo Moore, I know he was spamming that five-yard sit route and making the first person miss like he's been doing over these last two and three weeks. He did have, I believe, on like a third and one or a third and six. He lined up as the X wide receiver on the left sideline by himself after uh, being on fire earlier on and then made his man uh, miss in the open field had a one-hand stab for a great placement by Colt McCoy for the first down. Uh, Rondo's showing some stuff, you know? Like, we're not seeing consistent downfield over the middle, but when being called upon, he's making the first person miss, and that's what gives you these 9-for-94s, these 8-for-82s, these 6-for-66 games, and you can stack those up. That's a flex territory every single week. Yeah, I think he's definitely a flex. James Conner. 96 percent snaps and this Let's is go. after a huge week last week finds the box twice they're not going to be playing in this type of game script too often but the fact that james connor's playing well and i remember i think that him with that rib injury gave him a month to rest his legs i thought he looked good last week i'll go, go watch the tape on him this week but it's hard to fail when you're seeing 96 percent of the snaps that's probably going to lead the entire uh running back position this week 24 of 25 running back touches as well Two Monster. near the goal line touches with the longest carry of nine yards. That is, if I can use this word again, vintage James Conner stuff, where it just gets the high value touches. I think I'd buy high because I mean there is no buying high because everyone undervalues James Conner for the most part, especially after these injuries. I I would treat him seriously. Even AJ Green with an awesome toe tapping touchdown too. I didn't watch this game with a keen eye, but there is some synchrosity. Did I use that word correctly, Daigle? With Colt McCoy and his style and Cliff Kingsbury and how he wants to run this offense where it's like, boom, catch, get rid of it. Boom, catch, get rid of it. Right. Uh, Maybe Kyler and who knows how long this hamstring issue is going to linger for a bit. But among all the backups, Colt at least can be a distributor here to a few of these pieces. And I'm just excited to get Hollywood Brown back in this offense, too, because I know they're only four and six and who knows. But like maybe they can 
have some fun upsets as we get down the stretch of the season. Okay. I have four and six in that division's not that bad. I don't, I'm not believing the Cardinals at all, but Google is also telling me synchronicity is the word you're looking for. That was close. 49ers, Chargers, Patriots, next three games here for the uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, we'll close it out. Ask some questions because we did not watch it. 24 to 16, New York Giants win over Houston Texans. He was the chalk, and it wasn't just from the 152 yards and one score that Saquon Barkley got, but also 35 freaking carries. Uh, it's pretty clear that the Houston Texans can't stop the run or a nosebleed. And that led to 47 team carries to go opposite 17 attempts from Daniel Jones, who on just 13 completions, 197 yards and two scores, including a 54 yarder catch and run, make someone miss from Darius Slayton, who the team wanted to get rid of all offseason and now has turned into probably their best pass catcher on this team. What are the Texans doing with Davis Mills? Uh, last two games, Davis Mills against the Titans, 17 yards at the half. This week, 35 passing yards at the half. Just out of the game before this team even starts. Uh, how many snaps did Kenny Galladay play? It's two targets, zero receptions. I know he had a brutal drop early. Two of them. Two so, brutal drops. And the second drop, he came out at halftime and Darius Slayton was starting over him because they benched him. Uh, Dable even said in the locker room, he told him he's going to the bench. And so I think we are, we returned to it, but I think we are pretty much done with the Kenny Galladay experiment for good now. The Giants are seven and two. And they don't even have like Evan Neal wasn't out there in this game. I think Tyree Phillips was playing instead of him. Like, let's go. Galladay after the game was saying, I don't pay attention to the fans and stuff and said that he still feels like he still has the same juice as he did with the Lions. We'll see I when mean, he gets cut. I, I understand close game wins and you can say teams that they played against, but they've beaten, you know, the Ravens this year. They beat the Titans open the season. It doesn't get that much more difficult for the Giants here in the near future. It's the Lions, then the Cowboys, which is tough on, I think, uh, Thanksgiving. Then Washington right after that, Eagles, then Washington again. So like three of their next five games, extremely winnable. And that puts you at 10 wins this season for the New York Giants. They got to be like 90% to make the playoffs. We'll see him. Darius Slayton also, that possession out of the half in which he replaced Kenny Galladay did score his 54-yard touchdown. Literally that same possession. Also, Nico, Nico Collins now has out-targeted Brandon Cooks in their last three games together and outgained him in receiving yards. And... We said this in the start sit show. Hopefully you all tuning in on Sunday mornings. No offense to the people that love him as a player, but Wandale Robinson is Wandale Robinson. Like the ceiling is not high for a pure slot player in an offense that only needs to attempt 17 passes every single week. Like two for 20 is what he got today. Daigle, do you get Wandale Robinson sit start questions uh, yes. on your feet and stuff? People and think he's like going to be a explosion for the second half of the season. And I just don't see it. I love him as a talent. Like I, I like him as a talent. But I understand there's a ceiling there for the offense that he's in and the archetype of a player he is too. But the the start sets that usually he comes with are either easy or impossible to answer. Like I had someone ask me, uh, uh, Wando Robinson or Christian Watson, for instance, in like Watson's first game to do literally anything in his career. And obviously the answer was Watson in hindsight, but it's like, how can I even suggest that? It's like cross your fingers, I guess. 4.0 ADOT for Wando today. Right. That, that is what he is. Um, we were getting like Wandale versus, I don't know, like, uh, Brandon Ayuk or something like that. <laughs> Those are easy. We get some disgusting people in our comments. So yeah. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. Get out of here within an hour and 20 minutes. 
Go and check out Daigle stuff on BetSperts and 444, a all-encompassing waiver wire, which is going to be really important here as we head into week 11 with all these significant injuries. So, so and Hayden will have a video on our channel on Monday for that as well. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to send the channel to one of your friends. That's our challenge. And be on the lookout next week. Hayden and I might have a little uh, game-specific contest for this very show and podcast. Potentially. Be on the lookout. Up the villa. We'll talk to us soon.